We're here for another thrilling edition of the Sopranos podcast. Today, season two, episode 11, stress management. You know, we're the only country in the world where the pursuit of happiness is guaranteed in writing. You believe that? Bunch of fucking spoiled brats. Where's my happiness then? That quote was given to us by Tony Soprano in another scintillating therapy scene in this episode of season two entitled House Arrest, written by <laughs> Terrence Winter and directed by Tim Van Patten. Basically, if you have one shot at making an amazing episode of a TV show and you need one writer and one director, that's the team. That, to me, uh, that's the team you go to is Terrence Winter and Tim Van Patten. And uh, to uh, great effect here, House Arrest, Tony has to lay off some of the his enjoyable activities. Junior is feeling stuck and lonely. Richie's selling coke on association garbage routes. And Melfi is unraveling. It's all happening here at this late hour in Season 2. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And House Arrest. Only The Sopranos could make an episode uh, about boredom so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Good, go, good God. Initial thoughts on house arrest. Let's go around the gamut here. It's a nice contrast from our previous episode. As discussed, Bust Out um, is a really action-packed, energetic episode where things really move around. Lots of things happen. It's very fast-paced. This episode is the opposite. <laughs> uh, it has a pace that I hesitate to use the word sluggish because that would imply some level of incompetence. It's, it's very competent. It's slow. It's slow with purpose. Um, that doesn't mean it lacks in you know interest. It's a very interesting episode, but it is a slower pace. It it has has lowered the energy. It's lowered the action. Uh, what you have is ultimately a a much more sad episode. Thankfully, because our central character in this episode, other than Tony, is is Junior, and it's nice to check back in with him in a meaningful way. But he's in a bad spot. And he's also stagnating in an interesting way. So, yeah. It is a very interesting episode in that regard, that there's a methodical pace to it. Characters feeling stuck in more than one way. So frustrating and debilitating and depressing a state that they all seem to manifest difficulties physically. Mm. And a couple of them, there's a few different visits to the doctor that are various degrees of humiliating for some of the main characters. I think it's another step the show takes here. It's the particularly the last sequence. It's so, it reminds me so much of Chekhov, who's one of my mm. favorite writers, and really exploring that boredom and frustration and feel, a feeling, I guess, sort of like being in exile or being remanded to the country. It, it, I did feel for the characters, but again, we're getting a sense that of how ridiculous and dishonest they are and how they uh, dilute themselves and others. Uh, I thought it was another terrific episode. Again, I think the show is just hitting a stride here. Yeah, House uh, House Arrest is a, 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 one that slips under the radar for me when I think of season two as a whole. But so many great moments here. Great junior lines. Like you said, Jordan, it's great to check back in on junior. He's always very funny. I mentioned in the last episode that scene in Ramsey's Sporting Goods when they were dropping all these great quotes that I had to pause so I can get them all down on paper fast enough to right. keep up with it. That's basically every junior scene in this episode. Everything he says is either hilarious or brilliant or, you know, great. He just, 
he must be an easy character to write for, or, you know, I don't know, I guess this writing staff is just particularly talented. While Junior's but... power is disputed, he is the undisputed king of the one-liners. Yes, yes. Uh, funny lines per minute on screen in the show has to be Junior. Just everything out of his mouth is uh, uh, just a gem and a pearl, and Dominic Chinesi does such a good job bringing dignity to this uh, aging, stagnant gangster. Great work from all involved. Uh, we were kind of casually talking about awards before this and who was nominated for what, when. And while I don't personally put much stock in award shows anymore, they've just become too annoying. But <laughs> I believe uh, Dominic Chinesi was nominated for an Emmy for this season. And this episode could very well have been one of the episodes that propelled him into that uh, nomination as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this is a, a feature performance for Dominic Chianese this season. It's the probably the most we've seen Junior in any single episode this season. Oh, considering by, by far. Yeah, considering his role in the first season. So, an enjoyable hour, but also a very bleak and sad hour. Uh, it, it, it kind of is like, look, we're, we have a no-spoiler policy, but obviously things are going to uh, explode in a fucking blender in the next two episodes. So they're taking a moment here to just kind of offer up this insight as to why these guys do what they do, why the need to keep moving and to keep involved in action is so important for them, and what happens when that stimuli is taken away and, and what it means for them as human beings and as gangsters. So I'm excited to get into it. Perfect way to start in a Sopranos episode, a garbage truck dumped right onto a parking lot. This guy, great casting... This guy, this guy who runs the deli is fucking hilarious. He runs out there, mother, he says motherfucker like eight times. <laughs> and um, this is uh, Richie's garbage outfit. And uh, he calls up and we get this funny scene where Richie walks in and this goon that works at uh, Zanoni Brothers uh, pickup or whatever. Uh, Richie's garbage outfit is kind of sassing the guy. He complained. They're dumping garbage on him. So... Richie, yet again, doing what he wants, when he wants, flatting authority. This is obvious. We know right away this is not going to be something Tony is going to be happy about. I think I missed a trick here. I don't know what the scheme is here. Why Why are they dumping garbage on this guy? Just to be a dick. He, he called and complained. Really? Yeah, he called and complained uh, that they missed a pickup. Okay. So what happened? Yeah, so I'll lay it out for you. I, I picked this up. So this guy who runs this deli in Nutley calls Richie's outfit saying, Hey, you missed... Three pickups on these dates. He says the dates in the phone call. He has a bit of an accent, so it is hard to understand. Um, but he says he missed these pickups. And so they come back to get it, and they charged him for the pickups. He's like, you don't charge me for pickups you miss? And Richie's like, well, we had to come back. You know, so they charged him twice. Okay. So that's, <laughs> and then, the, that's and then the scheme. He, and then he complained, and Richie's like, we'll told you we'll bring your garbage back if you're not satisfied. So it's like, you're not satisfied with the service? We're going to bring your garbage back to you. Okay, They're... so that, that's the scheme Richie's running, is by not picking up all the garbage, he gets to charge them again by going back for that's, it. That's a scheme. I mean, he's also selling coke on the roots. Right, right, right. right. But, okay. Yeah. Got it. He's a fucking idiot. Yeah. Like, he's not is, smart. I mean, this is <laughs> what we've been building toward, I think, for a lot of this season. Like, this is an unforced error. It's 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 related to a scam, but it's blow it's it could blow the scam because it's exposure that they don't need. By the time Tony even confronts 
Richie about this completely dumb thing that he did, there's already another host of bigger problems that make this an afterthought. Uh, the, I, I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's stunning. Now, what is this about? I think, uh, let's just ask this right now then, since we're talking about it. Is Richie, I mean, obviously he's cunning. There's a, I don't say this to denigrate Richie the character. He's cunning, he's dangerous, he's played well by David Proval. Is he just stupid or is this something that he would have just gotten away with in the old days so he thinks it's okay? I don't think tipping a fucking garbage truck in the middle of somebody's parking lot would have flown even in the 80s. Or I don't know. Maybe right. I'm wrong. I think, uh, I think both points are right, Chris. I think that the blind spot that he has not even attempted to reconcile is that it's not the old days anymore. Yeah. He doesn't outrank Tony anymore. And Tony telling him to be more careful is exactly what he needs to hear. Yeah, and he can't. He's got that. I think actually, kind of a similar problem to author with authority that Tony does. Yeah, but he's way less smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I I think that's that's right on, Paul. Uh, I think Richie is very much a character who can't move on with his life, uh, despite all the hypocrisy about uh, you know closing doors and opening new ones and and being like a healed person. Give me a fucking break. Uh, this is a guy that went away, and the second he got out, tried to get back his whole old life, right? Yeah. And settle every score and get back all of his clout and his wealth. Um, you know, the, the first day on the street, he's running over Beansy with a fucking car, hitting him with a coffee pot, whatever. Uh, bringing out Rocco DeMeo's fucking jacket. This is a guy that's just stuck. Uh, mm. So I think, you know, yeah, dumping garbage trucks and running these coke schemes and whatever, he's like, he sees nothing wrong with any of this. Mm. I think it's a little both. I think he can't move on from the old days, and I think he's a little stupid, too. Yeah. it's He's so lethal and mean and fierce that you don't think of that being conflated with being a little stupid, but I think, I think yeah, I think he is a little stupid. I think he doesn't think things through all the time. Yeah. Mean and stupid. Not a good combination. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, to put it bluntly, guys, you are speaking shit to me. And we go from this sequence to the Neil Mink Lecture Series. Uh, Neil is uh, lecturing Tony on, you know, I say lecturing like it's a negative, but this is exactly what a good lawyer would tell a mob boss. Insulate yourself. Lower your profile. Stay back. Lower your profile. He, and Tony knows this. He made a decision early in season two that he was only going to give orders through Paulie and Silvio, and that's the new pecking order, and he wasn't going to do business directly with people. Um, so he knows this and he's hearing, you know, that's why he kind of gives our out of here. He's smoking a cigar. He's blowing him off at first, but he knows Mink is right. That he, you know, the smart thing for the mob boss to do at this point is hang out at Barone Sanitation, uh, or get out of the strip club and stop hanging around the guys so much and getting involved in the day-to-day operations. He's the boss. He should insulate himself. Uh, this is kind of, um why a lot of the old mob bosses didn't like John Gotti because he was very high profile and loved being a gangster didn't give a shit who knew it that's out in the streets with his guys all the time talking no the cosa nostra this all that whatever and you know that's why he was such a high profile target for the feds like a true mob boss someone who's actually good at this life and has a prayer at getting out unscathed there's a guy who does everything under the table and is very cautious and low-key and, you know, doesn't actually appear as a mob boss would appear. You look at pictures of actual mob guys and it's like, really? These are the guys that are, you know... You know, unfortunately, that's just not Tony. No. I mean, look at his house. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's kind of all right there. Yeah. 
I think uh, I couldn't put it better than what you said, Chris. That I, and I think in the last episode you mentioned Tony is at least smart enough to know that he needs a good lawyer. Mm. And I think even as he fidgets and squirms in this scene, I think as you say, it's actually because he knows that he's yeah. right. Even though he hates doing this, he does do it. He goes to Barone. And yep, hangs out there. And he, he make drops a great pearl of wisdom on him here that uh, you know the feds are a business. Millions of tax dollars invested in seeing you arrested and uh you know sooner or later they're going to want to return on their investment he puts it in terms tony will understand you're a businessman here's the facts they have an investment in seeing you locked up don't give them an in so we go from that into junior uh he's had a stent put in a procedure uh and um let's again maybe eight or nine laugh out loud lines in this scene not a cat. I don't shit in a box. <laughs> well, they give you all the important jobs, huh? Yeah. After this, you and me are going to a discotheque. What? Talk about stuck in the past. Uh, yeah. Thoughts on this scene and Junior, and uh, he's, he's had some kind of procedure done, and uh, there's a woman outside the door kind of watching. Uh, Bobby closes the door on. Mm-hmm. We get the whole Marshall McLuhan exchange. Um well, you know, a very emasculating experience having a stent put in, having your balls so swollen that you can't fucking walk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just seeing this guy just totally robbed of his power and his agency. The episode is titled House Arrest. I mean, he's 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 stuck. He's the character that's sort of literally stuck, mm-hmm. whereas Tony is circumstantially, you know, stuck. And um, this, is, this is the first of, as Paul said in the intro, you know, many medical maladies that are going to be you know afflicting us throughout this episode the scene is sad we just see a diminished junior we don't really know what the future looks like for this guy you know what what are you why are you showing this spirit why are you showing us this spirit you know it's like, yeah. like it was like well, why are we looking at this you know yeah if, if you look at where junior was at this point in season one and where he is now i mean it's it's very different points very yeah. different positions the insecurity of the character and the question of of course his dignity that is so uh, threatened by this process. It also seemed to me that even though Bobby Bacala is very sweet, that Junior hanging around with him, it's kind of getting old for him. And I also wrote it might not be a picnic for Bacala either because he just <laughs> takes all this abuse. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but as, as Jordan eloquently stated, it, it's building up to this frustration like, oh, what's going to happen with this guy? Um, you know, his health. He, he, of course, tries to undermine it. Little procedure. But... He's had these problems. He fell earlier in the season. He had this stent put in. Um, he has disruptive sleep. The whole thing. So yeah. And speaking of emasculating experiences, uh, or at least um, looking pathetic, we have Tony just existing in his house. I mean, how low and bored do you have to be to grab an ice cream bar so you can sit down and read waste news? God <laughs> almighty. <laughs> He's staring out the window at nothing. Carmela's like, what are you doing? I'm looking out the window. <laughs> I I had hoped in that moment I was like maybe I don't know the weather got a little warmer and maybe he's looking out at maybe I don't know Jeannie Cusimano is like out there in a mm. bikini or something like that that's like the that's the rascally high energy Tony yeah that's like the Tony you want but it's just looking out the window and you're like oh we're sliding quickly into depression of just like he doesn't know what to do mm. with himself nothing has mm. meaning for him his boredom is so palpable that Carmela going to get her eyebrows done 
Sounds interesting. Yeah. I was like, oh. Yeah, I was half expecting, <laughs> half expecting to be like, can I go with you, you know? Yeah, it's, like, it's totally routine for her, again, because these characters are pretty decadent. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that. I love the him trying to we- read Waste News, maybe trying to get into a mode where I can go to work right. at the sanitation yeah. place. Lasts 10 seconds. I don't know how he lasted that long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great song choice. You're going to have to, you got to serve somebody, uh, you know, who is, what master does Tony Soprano serve if, you yeah. know, if he, he had, even, even this mob boss is a slave to having to answer to somebody yeah by the uh, way played on q104 that station would never play that song they're not that cool <laughs> <laughs> sorry take that q104 update your fucking class rock classic rock playlist the same 40 goddamn songs we get this scene with melfi next uh she is telling she's doing some kind of couples therapy and... they seem happy when they leave <laughs> yeah <laughs> remember Two ears, one mouth, listen to each other. Yep. Uh, again, I, I like these little glimpses we get of the other patients that Melfi... We, we don't get them often in the series, but we will, on occasion, get the these other patients that Melfi sees, and it just always provides such a stark contrast to what she goes through with Tony. So it's a nice little insight there. And then she pops open the... Uh, the Belvedere, yeah. Yeah, the vodka, when she sees her 2 o'clock TS. We know who TS is, and we knew already that she was drinking but this is an important revelation that it's not only drinking but specifically during work yeah, which is not bad good for most anyone. jobs but especially a psychotherapist and it is specifically tied to patient soprano as uh, elliot would would call him and then we uh, get the melfi scene tony is restless he's fidgeting He's bored. He wants to stop coming here. He's talking about watching Seven. Great movie, by the way. He's not wrong. <laughs> Sliding uh, doors? Fuck no. Seven. <laughs> <laughs> Very great, funny. Great line. Um, they're both stuck in this yeah. scene. They're both stuck in this story in, in in the emotional way that Jordan referred to earlier. Junior's being stuck uh, quite a bit more literal. But they're also kind of talking past each other. T- Tony interestingly gets something off of her, but does not do, does not infer he's way too into his own emotions to mm. infer that she's actually altered in some way. Interestingly, in the next scene, he says, "You seem like you're on drugs." And during that scene, she's pretty straight. But here, he's kind of he's making jokes about it. You still in mourning over the coming of managed care? But this is all <laughs> now starting to unravel. We're seeing how in the way that the, these therapy scenes are also her therapy that she's also spiraling out. Mm-hmm. It's getting bad here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we've mentioned many times, many, many times in previous episodes how to- Tony is poisonous, toxic, cancerous. Like, he's infected her now as well. I mean, now we've seen, like, she's drinking. Right? She's Her alcoholism is tied to Tony, you know? <laughs> yep, and that's going to prove destructive, as we'll see shortly in more than one way. <clears throat> Excuse me, more than one way. She tells him I hear depression talking. She And she's right, this kind of nihilism, this what's the point? Can't take pleasure in simple doing of things. I tell you, I would love to have Tony's money uh, with nothing to do. <laughs> but he can't, and we'll get into why that is as we go. But, um, you know, he gives us a funny, lot of funny little sarcastic exchanges here. I was out in the yard burning ants with a magnifying glass. <laughs> she doesn't, she stone faces him, a little humor, you know. Uh, but, yeah, cool little scene there that's a precursor to what's coming. But you're right, this therapy is, is spiraling now. It's actively... Not only is it like we're past the point where it's like, oh, this is kind of 
unsatisfying and unhelpful. It's actively harming both of them, yeah. argu- arguably. So that happens, and then we get this amazing... I get so happy every time I see this shot when I watch through the show. Over-the-shoulder shot of Junior as he's being wheeled down the hallway. Yeah. Love that. You get a little bit of the glasses and the camera's almost like on his shoulder. A little glimpse of the world through Junior Soprano's eyes. It's a fun thought. Not a very nice world, by the way. No. No. And he runs into Catherine Romano, a woman we've not met before, but this is the woman who was peeking in on his room. And her son Chucky is behind him, just glaring daggers at Junior. Mm-hmm. We find out he's a cop. Her husband Lou, she's widowed. Um, her deceased husband Lou was a cop, died of Hodgkins, I believe she said. Yeah, 15 she's, years ago, yeah. Yeah. She's in the hospital for bunions. Junior just calls it a little procedure. Uh, downplaying it, he has to stand up. He gets lectured. Uh, but this is a sweet scene, isn't it? Yes, I think, well, I think this whole storyline is sweet and yeah. sad. There's something powerful about it. There's something alienating about it because part of it, at least in the early going, is that Junior actually wants to score with a younger woman like he, I'm sure he used to. <laughs> and it's he doesn't want to hang out. He doesn't want to be reminded of what this woman brings up, which I think in part is how old she is. It's also absolutely plain to me that the guy Lou was on the take. Oh, and yeah. there's no other... I Absolutely. Mean, what what other reason would a gangster have to say of a cop? Real straight shooter. He had yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. class. It means that he did what had to be done, right? Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Why would a cop be so cool with a gangster if he wasn't on the take? Why, does, right. why does she even know who Junior is? Exactly. You know, of course he was on the take, but to talk, touch on the sweetness of this storyline, I said to Lily when we were watching it earlier, of saying... You know, yes, he lies to her face and says, oh, yeah, no, he was, you know, he went to the racetrack. When she asks him, was was my husband Lou on the take? Uh, and he gives her a total hot load of bullshit. Of course he was. But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want her to think less of her deceased husband. I think that's a very sweet, classy move on Junior's part, despite it being a lie. It's one of those, like... Yeah. Gray, like I guess that's like a, a white lie. That's what they call that. It's it's uh... right. We only get positives from Catherine Romano throughout the episode. Um, she's the one first interested in him. She's peeking into his hospital room. Mm-hmm. She seems very concerned about him and keeps trying to just meet up with him. You know, and and I think the viewer knows his situation ever since Boca last season. We're like, okay, he's he's got no romantic anything going on anymore, and this could be a companion for Junior. Um, I think the casting is especially good here because she's sweet and seems nice, but is not sexy at all, mm. right? So it's, that is the fact, yeah. right? So when we see Junior talk about other women or ogle the nurse later in the episode, that is a contrast. Yes. Yeah, very deliberate. This little sub thing going on in the scene where the nurse tells him to sit, he has to sit down in the wheelchair and he says, so call a cop. And then the, the, the big orderly comes by and they kind of stare at each other. I like that lingering shot. Junior <laughs> sits down smiling up at him. Well, there's uh, that. I think what Jordan brought up already is the restriction and his being stuck. And he sits down, gives that smirk, and I think it cuts directly to outside Barone's sanitation mm. and the chained dog mm. is snarling and barking right in our face. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, lovely place, isn't it? Yeah. God, I, it's, it's funny that like... Stressed uh, out like looking at it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he oh, the he, dog he just, he, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this was the place Tony preferred over the other place he owned, which was like the, you know, do you have any idea what boiling fat smells the like? Rendering the, yeah, the rendering plant. Yeah, rendering, boiling sweet rendering. Uh, God almighty, I mean, how bad must that fucking place be? Barone Sanitation stressed me out just on the ex- exterior establishing shot. Very well done. I, I I do have to admit I have used Junior's line, so call a cop in my personal life when, when somebody has complained <laughs> over something I thought was menial. It, specifically, like this snobby lady in the Upper West Side once was mad at me talking on my cell phone on the sidewalk. So I was just like, so I, I, I was like, so call a cop and kept talking. I was like, what the fuck? But anyway, <laughs> so I, I have used that. So I want to thank uh, the writer. I want to thank Terrence Winter for that. Uh, <laughs> It's like, you know, that's my that's a go-to line for me when someone makes something out of nothing. Yeah, so Tony is here at Barone Sanitation. We've met Dick Barone a few times periodically throughout the series. We know that Barone Sanitation is Tony's garbage outfit, but this is the first we've seen of it, and Tony probably liked how little we saw of, of Barone Sanitation of course. prior to this, but now he's here. His office is filled with boxes. We meet Connie, the born-again Christian with the nice rack. <laughs> Uh, they're clearing Tony out the office. immediately. Oh, interest. Yeah. yeah. And, and the interest pipes up is even more once he finds out Born Again Christian. Oh, yeah? Uh. Yeah, a couple <laughs> things there. DeSapio. Oh, an Italian girl. Born Again Christian. Oh, so she used to be wild. And look at her. She's got a nice rack. She's eye-fucking the hell out of him, too. So that's already <laughs> on before he sits down. Yeah. And he, well, but the point is he's, he's in this dreary environment. He's already looking for something exciting to spike. You know, he's already looking for something to right. get excited about coming here and that's at least something for him but uh yeah and then he finds out that uh, barone drops the knowledge that uh, richie is selling coke on the roots tony's not happy about this why would he be he's absolutely right in any of these scenes where they're arguing about coke i i want to just slap my head like of course it just seems like a no-brainer don't sell coke on on garbage roots but uh, that's right. a, well, that's your a, your legitimate businesses are supposed to be running so they can hide all the dishonest things that you're doing in the shadows. Don't combine those things together. Yeah. Idiot. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the uh, another thing about this scene, I guess this, this story writ large for Tony, just to take the theme sort of broadly, Tony out of place in this legit office. It made me think a bit of um, a hit is a hit in season one when he's there with the country club whites and he's out of place there yeah. but unlike those people who were huge assholes dick barone is kind of sweet and friendly and he's friendly to tony but they don't have anything to talk about yeah exactly yeah. so tony is in this odd situation where he's trying to i think relate at some level but um in some ways it's even worse or more awkward that he's getting this bad news from this basically sweet, legit guy. Yeah. And another interesting little bomb here. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Maybe I missed it in a previous episode. Tony says, you know, that piece of shit is going to be my brother-in-law. Is this the first we've heard? Officially, yes. Yeah, there's an Mm -hmm. engagement here. Yep. Woof. Yikes. Uh, (laughs) So that's a bomb that that was just dropped. And then we get Elliot and our our favorite therapist on the show, (laughs) Dr. Elliot Kupferberg. (laughs) He's uh, pressing Melfi here. They've been tiptoeing around this a little bit, much like uh, Melfi tiptoes around what Tony does. Uh, but uh, Elliot is going for it. Are you an alcoholic? Why, what do you hope to achieve with this guy? What, what What's the end game here? He wanted to, she tells him, he wanted to stop coming and I talked him out of it. Why? If I were at Sloan and he had a 
Pituitary tumor, would I stop him from coming? Yeah, not the same thing. A kind of a facile comparison, I think. But um, Elliot is a much more aggressive therapist than she is, isn't he? Yes. Um, I know he's very smug and very self-satisfying, and he's not... We don't really like him, right. but um, he's right in the scene. We, but also, I thought, wow, very aggressive for a therapist. You're just talking to her more like a friend right now. Well, Lily mentioned this when we did our From Where to Eternity episode, which was that, yeah, he's just buffoonish enough, Elliot, to be hateable, but he's also competent because Melfi would have a good therapist. So he's like, he has some positive attributes, and he is right to press Melfi here, and his line of questioning is not necessarily out of line here. But, yeah, we hate him because he's... Yeah, I, I, he's possibly a little over the line. I think just because I'm so used to the therapy sessions with Melfi where she's much more about probing and understanding and trying to get people to cross their own lines, Elliot just kind of basically, this is a bad idea. Stop this. You're an alcoholic. I'm giving you this Medicaid. Like, it's, it's much more direct. I guess that's just his style. Maybe that's what she likes. There are different styles. I've seen a lot of different styles, different therapies in my own personal life because I've, I've had, I don't... <laughs> don't even want to begin to get into why, but I've had reasons to move from thera- from different therapists mm-hmm. in my life yeah. onto others. And um, I had one recently that did not want to like talk about how I felt about anything, didn't want to talk about root, whatever, just like very fa- fact forward and, and just like, hey, you know, I'm having trouble. Uh, I'm spiraling after, you know, late at night when it comes to focusing or doing anything productive, but I stay up till like three, four in the morning. And his answer was was just like, okay, well, go to, go to bed at 11. From starting tomorrow, you're going to bed at 11 every night. It's just like, well, that's what I need to do, I guess. Yeah, but like, that's I don't just, know. It know. just feels a little life coachy to me. <laughs> I don't know. But, all right. Well, yeah, and there's different, there's uh, different formats in therapy, psychodynamic sure. therapy and cognitive behavioral and mm-hmm. you know there's there's all kinds of different stuff so who knows what elliot's background is but the point being uh yeah that's his style he's he's much more direct and confrontational uh, and, and abrasive in a smug way than melfi is perhaps he knows because she can handle it yeah mm-hmm. i don't know also i think even though there are, i think there are other examples other episodes where some of his tendencies are not only aggressive but they great and they're annoying and funny in weird ways but here what melfi is going through is so powerful she's again physical manifestations of frustration for her literal hand wringing yeah that he Mm -hmm. notices yeah Mm -hmm. when he says are you an alcoholic she shakes her head but seems unable to respond verbally yeah so he is reflecting back at her the tough place that she's in and i think the last moment is him not sure what to say actually yeah there's silence yeah, I mean he he's really successful in these scenes. I mean he's uh, sorry in this scene he's um he's identified her alcoholism. She's not willing to abuse that word for herself, but it's becoming true. He prescribes her a medication for obsessive compulsive disorder. She has a compulsion. This is you know, he he's good. This episode. Yep, this is good, Elliot. Then Junior is getting fitted for his uh, CPAP machine. His sleep apnea is bad, and the line sleep apnea is serious. And I'm going to speak from uh, experience here. It is very serious. And sure. I, uh, <laughs> I get where Junior's coming from. A little um, sidetrack here. I, I, I have sleep apnea and I've needed a CPAP for a while. And I didn't use one for the first few years I had one because I just found it very kind of embarrassing and emasculating, particularly when my wife and I started living together. And But in the end, it's a serious medical condition and it can kill you. So if anyone out there is having what Junior was wrestling with, this whole issue of, uh, you know, how awful a CPAP looks and feels or whatever, yeah, wear your CPAP. You could die from sleep apnea. It's no bullshit. But anyway, 
preaching aside, 40 arousals per hour. More since I met you, Junior. <laughs> <laughs> Flirting with this uh, pretty young blonde nurse who's come to fit him for his machine. <laughs> and uh, again, line after line after line. Judge Crater, how should I know? The judge, the one who ordered the house arrest? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. It's a Bobby. fucking expression. Get Open the door. Check out the door. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Catherine yeah. again. Catherine again. She's pursuing at this point. This Not is, a god. This isn't just bumping into him in the hallway. This is, you know, she was looking in at his room. She's interested. She 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 wants some Karate Soprano uh, time. That's what she wants. She wants to keep time with Corrado. A little homemade Manigot. Oof. And, uh, yeah, oof. But that made me want Manigot so bad, I'm probably going to make some this week now. Uh, <laughs> Manigot's so good. Anyway, he rebuffs her. He he tells her, oh, we're, we're about, the nurse just got here. We're about to start our exam. Nurse doesn't out him, but tells him you're, you're awful or you're terrible or whatever. And uh, even Bobby felt compelled. Probably, again, there's a, always a selfish motivation here, probably because... He is someone other than Bobby to take the burden uh, off of Junior's loneliness off of. Uh, I, I love Junior's vocabulary. He actually calls Catherine a dreadnought. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Talking about dreadnought would help. <laughs> um, this, uh, I mean, this scene, again, another, there's, there's a funny element, but it is also sad in some way. There's really funny moments. Junior's denial is... Uh, palpable like mm. it makes me look like a sick man it's like well i mean now you are come on there's sickness here yeah um it doesn't mean you're gonna die tomorrow but you got you're older at the end when he says talking to that dreadnought uh not would help like what would we have in common it's like dude you're both old <laughs> like you're both from the same generation you're both getting lonelier she because she's a widow you because you never married um that's the reality you just can't accept it there's also a really funny transition there when he says, what will we have in common? You know how I feel about feet. And he kind of, I guess, skeeps <laughs> people's feet or whatever. Yeah. He cuts it right from that to Tony completely out of place at the garbage man's ball. Yeah. So. Bunions. <laughs> yeah. Bunions. <laughs> you know how I feel about feet. That's a very funny line to end the scene on. Uh, but yeah, is he? so that's what's happening here. He's just in kind of denial about mm-hmm. his condition. It's, it's the old macho thing. It's the old... Uh, you know, I'm not actually lonely. What is this? He well, just doesn't it, want human we, contact and, you know. Junior's essential flaw is his dignity, right? Mm. It's being picked at from every angle. His position as the boss of this family has been swept away from him. He's under house arrest, so he can't really just go out and enjoy the normal things in life anymore. And now his health is in decline. Mm. Um, there has to be something to abate some of this loss of dignity, to abate some of this loneliness and... I th- we I think even in the early scenes you can see him starting to consider, mm. you know. He thinks he's gonna like what score with the young nurse. She doesn't give a shit. She's just being polite. Right. Yeah. I mean. And yeah, cut to the garbage man's ball, as Richie calls it later. <laughs> Tony is bored to fucking tears by Dick Barone. Uh, again, nice guy trying to be welcoming to Tony in the business. I would have passed out too at this fucking thing. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Like, list, like, list the gross tonnage. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Well, it, it, you know the inane conversation, the fact that it's like a golf themed event, a golf outing. Yeah. The outfits alone make me want to vomit, especially Janice, who is transformed yet again. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the scene we get Manson lamps in. Yeah. This is the Manson lamp scene. Absolutely. Well, give me your fucking Manson lamps. Just which I think is the best dig on Richie of them all. Yeah. It's that, and the other contender is. Oh, I wonder why the squirrels went quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, those two in particular, but Manson. And lamps is so good. Uh huh. 
Which our friend Charlie didn't he have play a World of Warcraft character? My World of Warcraft character was that Manson was your Lamps. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Manson. I, Lamps. I named my orc warrior Manson Lamps because <laughs> he had like these big glowing yellow eyes. Perfect. Yeah. Nerd. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I. Uh, I don't know if Jordan. Oh yeah, we're the nerds, but you led with a Chekhov reference. I did. <laughs> fair. Fair. <laughs> I'm the most ashamed here. I don't know if Jordan ever got quite into the world of Warcraft. I didn't, but actually I would have, so I I can hardly excuse myself. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, he's bored to tears. Janice is looking like a golf yuppie, you know, really playing the role. You know, it was a stone's throw ago that she was calling herself Parvati and eating miso soup, and now she's sipping cocktails at a golf yeah, course. What, uh, what a chameleon she is. She really is. She came in as Parvati yeah. from the West Coast, all yep. hippy-dippy, right? And then she transformed into the Jersey Bride, yep. right, to, to be with Richie April, completely change her name, change her name back to Janice, change her appearance. Uh, she's at a golf outing. Sure, why not? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, and he chews Richie out bad here. This is a major... Like, if I, if I had to... Look up ass chewing in the dictionary and put a video next to it. It would be this. Tony just fucking dresses him down. I think I wrote down epic and much deserved. Oh, 100%. <laughs> it's great, but he's just trying to downplay it. It's a little coke. What is the big deal? You know, you and my uncle want to sell coke. That's your business. You do it on Association Garbage Roots. It's my fucking business. It stops today. He tells him, I love the way Tony delivers this line. There's so much frustration behind it. I fucking hate the way you make me fucking ride you. Uh, and he's had to ride Richie from minute one. It's always something with this fucking guy. Yeah. And Tony's frustration really breathes through, and Richie is not even, like, giving the arguments anymore. It's He's just... This is open contempt at this point between mm-hmm. these two. I also love the setting, because this, this scene could have taken place anywhere. The mall, Satriales, Badaming, wherever. The fact that it takes place again in a place where Tony feels displaced, where he feels uncomfortable, out of his element, it, that that's really important to the theme of this episode. Mm. Yeah, and then I, it seems as though there's a couple times, one here and then later when they're at the house, where Tony has like a near panic attack. But it's not, it's certainly not because he's afraid of Richie. Mm. Part of it is that Richie frustrates him and Richie is tedious. Yeah. I hate how you make me fucking ride you. And as Jordan pointed out, part of it is like, literally as Tony is starting to kind of swirl a bit, and the camera work here is fun, it's getting tilted. Very well shot, I like um, this, yeah. What's running through Tony's brain is this bland, uh, <laughs> garbage bin's ball, like, shop talk, like, 300,000 gross tonnage. And Tony's like, <laughs> Again, like, pretty, and there's like a great, Song by the band Boston, More Than a Feeling, yep. playing, so it's ramping up, and then he passes out. It's, yeah, it is well, pretty funny. You've got the sort of classic rock music. You've got food in there. You've got worrying about mob life and home life all at the same time, and you have trying to exist in the mundane world all at the same time. It's like all of Tony's triggers. You might as well have Livia sitting next to him. You know what I mean? It's like all of Tony's triggers that could give, give him a panic attack all happen at the same time. That's a really good point. Do you guys think it's, it's the balance that he has to... Ca- yeah, carry all this I, at I once. do. I yep. do. I think if, if if at least the scene had taken place somewhere familiar, he'd be okay. If any one of those things were out of the equation, mm. interesting. You know. Yeah, I think I agree. This was well shot, and then uh, we get Tony very embarrassed in the in Carmela is just very frustrated, chiding him. You know, if it were a man, you'd wring his neck. All the much talking about all the money he's given to Melfi, and what is she doing for you? He says. She says. 
He starts scratching. We, we, we get this first glimpse of Tony's got some kind of rash or something going on in his arm. Uh, Tony's like, leave me alone. He's being very childish. And, and um, the nurse comes in, gives him the news he's heard before, that this is nothing physical. And that's very frustrating for Tony. He says right, he wishes it's... it was physical because it could be ripped the fuck out. Right. So the implication is that it's stress-related. And we have a sub-theme running through this episode that... Um... The medical professionals are not like they don't they don't know what what's what's up with these guys ultimately mm. that the things that are wrong with Junior and Tony are like beyond their help somehow mm. and that medical science is not particularly <laughs> equipped to handle everything. I mean, uh, ultimately, when this nurse or doctor d- doesn't really diagnose with them anything, you know, she tells them to lose weight, yeah, which is about as effective as telling someone to just like relax. You know, it's just like, it, it's not actually treating anything. Great shot of Tony's reaction as yeah. she walks away, <laughs> completely nonplussed. <laughs> so then we get to Junior working on the garbage disposal. Bobby was supposed to do it. He needed to get the flange. Yeah, when? St. Smithens Day? <laughs> God damn it, Junior. Every time. Every scene. Uh, I don't know how they write this guy. God, he's so funny. Junior asks about Bobby Sanfilippo, who he pied in the face in season one. Uh, I guess he must have reached out to her at some point, didn't return his call, not surprised. Hmm. But Bobby says she was very cold when I ran into her that one time at the store. I guess she was buying a fountain of a kid pissing, as Bobby put it. <laughs> fountain, kid pissing. Uh, Fountains June. of Wayne, real place. Oh, yep, yep. That's absolutely a real place, Wayne, New Jersey, not far. Uh, he says, oh, she must have bought a house, and he's wistful. Again, Junior wants... We're talking about his dignity and his pride and his, you know, his, his sense of manhood. He's going after, well, okay, his, his advances on the young, sexy blonde didn't work. Well, maybe I can get the great piece of ass who I was with for so long. And Bobby, and we talked about how sad that was when Junior cut that off for good. And he's kind of reaping what he sows at this point. He doesn't have anybody. Yeah. Is his memory, like, selective in some way? He talks about Bobby. He says, as you mentioned, Chris talking of that virility that, that i think they had like a good sex life he says she talked too much but game as they come does he yeah. even remember his responsibility in how that relationship ended mm-hmm. maybe yeah. not might have either willfully or or whatever blocked it out you know that's i'm sure that was a upsetting and traumatic moment for him he's yeah uh, he called he could also just be kind of like flexing like having a little macho moment with bobby for yeah. a second you know mm-hmm. I, I don't know Junior's life is very small. I mean, Bobby's really the only person in his life in many ways. I also, the lack of glamour of Junior's house, by the way, is a mob boss with a non-work, non-working uh, a garbage disposal. Mm. I was like, he's washing his own dishes. I'm like, this guy doesn't even have a dishwasher. Oh, you know, I forgot this detail. He tells Catherine earlier, same house same in house. Belleville. Yeah. Oh, so yes. the tedium is long-standing, and I guess also Junior's life didn't, have the trajectory that he expected. Yeah. That maybe he thought he'd get a better house mm. at some point. I guess he was just held off from being the big man for too long and then became so set in his ways that he never even thought to move up. Yeah. Well, certainly watching this episode, I thought of something that I think, Jordan, you mentioned maybe in the first episode of this season, that Junior maybe should not have lived this long. That's oh, kind of a grim no, I have yeah, always yeah. felt that, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And look, this is not a knock on Belleville, but just uh, seeing as much of Jersey as they have in the last few years, it, it's it's nothing's wrong with Belleville. The houses are fine. It's it's like a blue collar middle class place. It's a town. It's a normal town. Junior's house is a perfectly fine normal house. There's nothing wrong with it. 
but it's worlds away, even though geographically it's like 10 minutes, it's worlds away from West Caldwell. Sure, culturally, where, yeah. Where, where Tony yeah. was perched. Mm. Very different. Tony's living next door to a doctor. Junior's probably living next door to a plumber, you know. Right. Very, very different scenario there. So, But but it's important to note, because it, it all just kind of paints a picture of why Junior is where he is and yep. how he's feeling. And thus, he becomes stuck. In the garbage disposal. He does. He does. Though that's not immediately apparent. His hand goes in there, and I think we're like, is he stuck? Yeah, they linger on the shot for a second. (laughs) (laughs) The shot later, night has fallen. (laughs) He's just like languishing there. (laughs) Trying to reach the soap with a ladle. (laughs) Very fun, darkly funny. Tony is all but audibly gasping uh, with exasperated energy as he walks past Carmela's book club meeting. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> Humiliating. Yeah. He's uh, throwing meat out of the fridge to get to what he's looking for. He's probably looking for. He's looking for the gabagool. I think that's what he eventually grabs. And he gets a call. To, you know, couldn't be any worse. He's listening to this going on in the next room, and it's the last thing on earth he wants to listen to or be around. He should be at the Bing right now normally or probably Satriales. And, uh, yeah, that's what he will. He should be at Satriali's eating gabagool fresh out of the fucking slicer. But he's, uh, he's here listening to this in his bathrobe. He gets the call, and we've noted many times that Tony is always interested. He, last episode, he's watching a General Patton documentary. Yeah. And the guys well, call. History channel, yeah. yeah, the guys call. They got a truck of this World War II memorabilia that they know Tony would love. The truck Patton was riding around in Sicily. The I have would... ways of making you talk, Mr. Soprano. <laughs> I would want to see that fucking Jeep. Big uh, pussy uh, imitating uh, Sergeant Schultz. Yep. From Hogan's <laughs> Heroes, I Know Nothing. <laughs> yep. This um, whole scene, it's, it, as, you, as you said, it's a perfect juxtaposition because of how tedious the uh, book club is. Yeah. Um, the first thing I wrote down is these fucking gaudy mob wives can keep their opinions of Irish people to themselves and fuck Frank McCourt, too. (laughs) I'm showing my bias here. I am part Irish, but um, that's not the only... uh, Another point when you're more overhearing it, Carmela says the following. Oh, and the way he writes it, too. He chooses to portray certain characters in certain ways. I was like, okay, so every book ever. Right, yeah. Like so, Tony is like overhearing this. He doesn't look good in the scene. The kind of five o'clock shadow. Yeah. He's got sweat coming. He's, he's down. dripping with sweat. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't because the lights in the studio were hot. That's because they wanted him to look gross and upset and <laughs> not well. <laughs> and of course, he's tempted. But you know, we I I want to go un- unbox all that shit with Pussy Polly and Silvio. That looked fun. But it's something that to... should interest him. Yeah. Uh, he just he's depressed. Yep. And by the way, I think it's clear that that wouldn't have been too high profile. He could have gone out and spent a couple of minutes with them, even as a drive-by. But when you're depressed, you don't do anything. You yeah. just don't want to leave. Right. We've all been there. Speaking of depressed, let's talk about Milfie's son and the dinner they're having. Uh, <laughs> She's raised a terrible son. I know we're about to talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know we're about to talk about her for the rest of this, but, like, I hate Jason. Uh, every appearance Jason's had on the show, I know there's not been many. He sucks. She's raised the kind of character that the show hates. Right, yeah. He's, like, one of these smug, facile, academics, snooty, Yeah. you know, just a... I hate him. Yeah. <laughs> I agree, yeah. He, he's, he's... She's raised, like, a little Elliot or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? No, it's really I agree. just it, terrible. It, 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 My droll mom. Fuck you! <laughs> it's 
be so interesting on that level because, like, I think she probably... Her parents, when we have that dinner scene in season one with Richard and her parents, her parents look like working-class Italians, maybe second generation, right? who climbed up from something and bought, like, a middle-class house yeah. somewhere. And Melfi really is the first one of her family to probably reach the kind of heights that she has. Yep. She's very successful. Yep, they're doctor. salt of the earth. She's the first of the academics. Uh, so there. she's yeah. still kind of part of her, and this is part of her connection with Tony. Parker still connects with that kind of Italian thing, but Jason is like, he has no connection no, to No, completely the, to, fuck to him and his non-smoking dorm and all that bullshit. <laughs> Just fuck this kid. I hate this kid. I think what J- Jordan is talking about is actually something that makes the scene kind of harder because, harder to, harder to watch and a little bit more emotionally troubling because Melfi does want to connect with him and the fact that she so alienated him, it so mortifies her. That I think it actually shows her something that she hasn't been able to see mm. up to this point about her own behavior. Yep. So she makes a, a scene here. She she makes a she embarrasses her son, and even though her son is a prick, this I think this would embarrass most people yeah. mm-hmm. uh, if their mother were, was acting this way. But you're right, Jordan. He is <laughs> he is a little shit. Yeah. So now we're, obviously we're gonna talk about Melfi. I just um uh, the, the scene is just. So this woman is smoking in a restaurant, which allows smoking, by the way. I don't think Jersey allows it anymore, but at the time, I remember at that time in 2000, many states in the area, Connecticut, New Jersey, a lot of like the big, like, you know, what what people would probably associate today as like the coastal blue states, California, whatever, had um, passed these laws that banned smoking in bars and restaurants. I remember what was happening. I remember an Eddie Izzard line where he says, yes, there's no smoking in bars now and soon no drinking and no talking. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, but yeah, there's no smoking, sorry, now, but at the time there's smoking in the restaurant. Jersey was like one of the last of these states to, to ban smoking. So Melfi was like, I guess, and New Jersey's woefully behind. Yep. There's a woman smoking a cigarettes. Uh, Melfi, asks her to move it in a way that the language is polite, but the tone is rude. Yeah. Uh, and the woman responds accordingly. The woman is cast perfectly yes. that is smoking the cigarette. This is not a degenerate person. She is someone of equal status to Melfi, at least. She might yeah. be of greater status than Melfi. Yeah. We don't know. She's dressed well. She speaks well. She's eloquent. The only quote-unquote negative about her is that she's smoking a cigarette, which is only negative in the context of Melfi doesn't want her to be doing it. It's perfectly legal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're looking back on this 20 years ago and we're like, okay, yeah, there's no smoking in restaurants now, but there was then. She did nothing wrong. Yeah, and Melfi does not take a tactful approach at all. The woman she'll, is she'll, the woman she'll, is gets stubborn and argumentative back at Melfi, but Melfi didn't approach this. In a Melfi's way. the first one to curse. Melfi's the first one to raise her voice, and Melfi's the first one to throw something at this woman. So yeah, she, yes. Melfi loses every every part of this and purports to be doing it for her son. Jason does not give a shit. Yeah, I mean. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's sad. It's 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 upsetting to see Melfi like this because we know better of her. We expect better of her, and it's uh, it's just unfortunate that she's in this kind of state. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot going on there, and uh, this is a this is a sad to see Melfi, and we like Melfi. Melfi yep. is the closest thing the show has to a a character we as you know, upstanding citizens can relate to. <laughs> sure. And, well, she, in many ways, she's our surrogate, right? Yeah. It's um, hard to see her going through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've had a person in your life that's really struggled with alcoholism, it's yeah. a lot of this was very relatable. Yeah. Because you want to be able to explain to this person, this is how you're acting right now. Yeah. And we need to get you out of the situation, but they can't hear you. 
And she's not fall down drunk. She's like just like it manifests in like an ignorance and a and a belligerence. Right. And, it's the belligerence. Yeah. yeah. It's sad. But you're I thought it was mirroring some of Tony's behavior. Yeah. The belligerence, except not as effective at, at getting people what you want. Right. You do. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so she gets kicked out, and that's it. Then we get back to Junior. He's <laughs> trying to pull uh, the soap over with a ladle. Junior's Re- lowest moment. Yeah. <laughs> this fucking house. <laughs> Dying here. Crying, stuck for six hours six in a garbage hours. disposal. Six hours! And Richie and, and Janice can't help but laugh. So <laughs> I, I, would, I would probably laugh, too. This is the, you know. Um, Why didn't you call the plumber? With what? My fucking toes! <laughs> <laughs> Richie getting him out. You're flexing. You're flexing, trying to help him. More bonding between Richie and Junior, I suppose. And then, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, Junior's a, p- a pitiful sight here. And it's, it's, it's darkly funny, but it's still funny. I was wondering, is this the worst or best time to give Junior the light envelope? And I guess it depends on your manipulative perspective. Oh, yeah. It's... It's the right time because in this moment, it almost seems in a related way that somehow it is Tony's fault that he was stuck mm-hmm. in the disposal. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that Richie does a really nice job connecting those. Yeah. Richie, sa- there's a uh, that thing where he says, you flex it is very funny. But he's telling Junior to calm down. He says, simmer down, simmer down. And then at the end, I wrote down, are they turning up the simmer on Junior? Because now they're both, it seems, working oh, yeah. on him. Mm-hmm. There's a shared look with Richie and Janice, yep. as Janice was working on Richie in the last episode. Sure, Richie and Janice are the new Libya and Junior, oh, in absolutely. terms of how they will work you. you know? And great delivery by David Proval, the line, you know, I, I know I know you love him, Junior, I don't want to say anything disparaging. This is from a guy who an episode ago was like, yeah, this guy should have been dead a year ago, and you know it. You know, but he, he, he that that tactic didn't work. So he finds Junior in this vulnerable state, slips in the light envelope, got your nephew to thank for that, and then tries to play the innocent. Well, you know, I tried to say something, but, you know, you love him, so it, it is what it is. Like, he's like he's just swallowing it, but this is very well-crafted manipulation. Oh, yes. He uh, even undermines Tony's authority when calling him the boss. He says he's the boss, grand malls or not. Yeah. Grand Mall's is an old, as a kind of seizure. Mm-hmm. So he's, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that seed is planted. Junior's very unhappy about the light envelope, especially given, you know, his financial situation at the moment. Tony's rash. He's at a doctor. It's humiliating for him. He thinks it's serious when he says contact dermatitis. Uh, the doctor prescribes cortisone cream, which is a, a cream you can get even without a prescription. He must be getting like one of the extra strong doses, but you know, he's exposed to shit in the air at Barone Sanitation. The rash is a manifestation of Tony's inner frustration just popping out on his body combined with, you know, whatever the fuck is in the air over at Barone Sanitation. And, uh, he says, uh, you may want to discuss, uh, stress management <laughs> with your therapist, Stress management, of course, being the title of our episode this yes. week. Mm-hmm. Um, cut to a different kind of therapy. Cut to a different kind of stress management. What a chaotic sex cut that is, by the way. The dogs are barking. The phone is ringing. No one's picking it up. Uh, the chair is... We get that shot of the chair bouncing. I love it. Uh, <laughs> the cut was great, not just because I like seeing people fuck on screen. I do. Uh, oh, but it's yeah. like... It's, it was hot, and, like, I'd fuck the Christ out of that girl, for sure. Literally. <laughs> just fucking born again. But, uh, it ultimately meaningless. Mm. It does not a thing for his boredom. No. Not a thing for his depression. 
Uh, next scene he's means, in, he's still means scratching nothing. the arm. Means nothing. We know yeah. there'll be no follow up with Connie. Yep. You know this doesn't mean anything for anything. That's what I felt because actually there's two parallels here. There's a parallel here I think in that both characters, Tony and Junior, have frustrating visits to the doctor, humiliating in different ways. The follow-up for Tony is immediately fucks this girl. Mm. And as Jordan said, no dividends that we can see. Junior's interaction following his visit to the doctor is much more complex, but also much more profound. He doesn't get the girl, but this woman keeps care of him in a much more powerful way. Yeah. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Then we get the follow-up Elliot scene where he does prescribe the medication. Oh, that's and... right. I jumped the gun on that before. Sorry. Well, it's okay. We were talking about it. Yep. Thematically, it all comes together. Uh, so it's fine. She's, he's actively trying to get Melfi to drop Tony at this point. Is He's not being coy. He prescribes Luvox. Is she obsessed with him? Is, the, is this obsession? Is, is Elliot on the money here? I think so. Mm. Yeah, I think this is an episode where we're meant to revere Elliot a little bit, right? As having more clear-sighted vision than Melfi, because my god. Uh, and I think we have too narrow a definition of OCD and compulsion. I agree, right? too. I agree with that. Um, he's had success with this medication before. He's not using her as a guinea pig. He says this may help. If anything, he's just trying to get her to focus, uh, get her to see that her behavior is compulsive, and really get her to see Tony as a problem. Because now by medicating her... She has to think every time she takes this pill. Why am I taking this pill? Oh, right. <laughs> I have mm. these compulsions. He's one of them. This needs to move on. Mm. Mm. Well said. I, I think that, yeah, the, I, I certainly thought he was right and that he's likely right in prescribing this medication. The, the churning gear of the scene to me actually seemed Melfi accepting it emotionally. Yeah. That she's vulnerable, that she, I, I don't think she wants to take this medication no. i think it labels her she starts bargaining with him he says we're bargaining now right yeah. mm-hmm. um but when she's tearfully saying luvox jesus christ at the end it's it's powerful it's hard for her but i still admire melfi i thought she was mm-hmm. accepting it yeah it sucks but she's accepting you know like she's she's on the road to dealing with it it seems yeah at, at the very least because that's step one mm-hmm. is accepting it we have the scene in the doctor's office. Junior is pleading his coke case to Tony. Tony is, you know, very, you know, listen, you know, why don't you get it through that bald dome of yours? He's being very, like, it's over. The coke is done. You're not selling it on the garbage routes. Just keep it away from the garbage routes. And Junior is not happy about it. I don't know why everything has to be this difficult. And back in the old days, we settled things amicably. Tony, of course, calls him out immediately on that hypocrisy you know i remember that picture of albert anastasia laying all amicable on the barbershop floor the very famous uh (laughs) junior just grasping here things were more amicable back in the old days if we've learned anything about the old days they were the lesser of the amicable times like what is he talking about i guess he's referencing what older people always do that somehow (laughs) in their time things were nicer things were more mannerly and stuff like that but We've seen the brutal savagery of Johnny and Junior and the legends that surround them over yeah. and over again. There's yeah. no manners. The fuck is he talking about? Yeah. <laughs> well, these characters... Yeah, manners. Ideal- like when you beat that guy mercilessly on the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah Come yeah. on. They idealize the, the, the past and the show deconstructs that and in an odd, uh, you know, Tony sarcastically deconstructs it for Junior here. Like, yeah, okay. 
<laughs> they, they were more yeah. amicable because the guy that I that I paid off to look the other way lied to his wife about it, and then I could tell her that he won the money at the track. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, uh, I love that line. Somebody's got to win. That is, isn't that a great scene? Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, Tony describes Richie as a shipbird. I don't need you and that other shipbird fucking it up. And then Junior is getting refitted for the mask. Uh, how many MIGs did you shoot down last week? <laughs> <laughs> Very funny little bit there. The look Junior gives him. Dominic Chinese is just slaughtering this scene by scene. And that continues. He's looking for the man of God. Bobby <laughs> says it's gone. Half a fucking tray in there. Bobby ate half a tray of man of God. I believe it. Easy. Uh, <laughs> so his reaction is just a resigned son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby, of course, ashamed of himself. You don't gotta get nasty, you know. No, little motivation there, though. Yeah. He's gotta get more of that amount of God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and he's gotta, he's gotta return the tray. Yeah, yeah, he looks at that empty tray and yeah. the, the dish rack, and that's it, it. it. I think it's the final straw. It's like I, he, he. This is whereas Melfi was kind of accepting her fate. This is as close to Junior's gonna get as accepting when he sees that tray and makes the call. To Catherine, Catherine Romano. I like that he struggles with the <laughs> operator cocksucker Belleville. <laughs> Just to reiterate where he lives and where she lives. And then we get the... Somehow I misplaced the doctor scene. The doctor scene and then the fucking thing happens here. I don't know why I had it in my notes earlier. Oh, that's right. But, uh, yes. yeah. I but, put, uh, quote-unquote, stress management with Connie. Yeah, stress management with Connie. <laughs> so that's actually at this point. Then we get the scene with Catherine Romano and, and you know... That scene was raw, primal fucking. This is the opposite of that. This is a sweet, uh, older couple. Yes, kind of there will yeah. never be any fucking. Yeah, Catherine Romano. So we are clear. Yeah, yeah. That is just. This is pure companionship, and you know what? Nice, great. If yep. he can make that work, if he can learn to be happy with that, wonderful. Mm-hmm. When we talk about, uh, you know, was my husband on the take? We talked about this a little bit earlier because the conversation just brought us there naturally. So that's fine, but. It was like, you know, he tells this sweet little fib for her, a white lie, uh, but he's 100% lying. I mean, oh, of course. There's no way her, like, you know, there's no reason Junior would be in her life otherwise. The, you know. the, even the way that she sort of moves the words on the take around her mouth suggests that she's so innocent. Mm. On the take? Yeah. I've heard that before. Like, of course Junior's going to be like, no, no, of course not. Yeah. And she'll believe him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a nice thing he does for her. It's it's the best closest thing he can do to making her a tray that she can eat, that she can swallow. You know, a tray oh, nice. food. Yeah, I like that little thing. She, you know. So then we get <laughs> Janice and Richie buying a house. They're gonna drop eight hundred and fifty grand on this place. That's not peanuts. Right. It is a mansion. I mean, yeah. The shot from outside, it is. It's the place is huge. Yeah. It is a manse to rival Casa Soprano. Yeah. Yep, and that's exactly, uh, you know, Janice is bopping around all excited about it. Tony's lackluster, but Carmela's like, you know, we kill you to show a little interest. He's like, I'm here, aren't I? And uh, Richie and Tony are openly kind of sniping at each other once they're left alone. Uh, Janice is excited about the school district. It's a great school district for kids. There's the trigger for the panic attack. Yeah. The idea that there will be more children in this family, and mm-hmm. it will come from the two of them. Mm-hmm. What's Janice going to be like as a mother, right? Yep. What's Richie going to be like as a father? I'm having a panic attack right now. Right. (laughs) It's such a telling line when Tony steps outside and sees Richie knocking in the the window. And as much as these two guys can't stand each other and it's active open hostility at this point, 
he still says, you poor bastard. Mm-hmm. Like, a- as bad as it is with them, Tony knows deep down that Janice is, is, is much worse. <laughs> you know, he still manages to find a bit of pity in his heart for Richie that he is making this a such a permanent arrangement. The house, the kids. Tony gets out of there just in time, but... Oh, yeah, I was wondering if in the depression and boredom also this, like, house with the off-white walls, I mean... Tony is just like it's so tedious. Mm-hmm. Does it look like an insane asylum to him? Like, oh my god, not more of this. Yeah. Like, having already sat through overhearing the book club. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Tony is now making a basketball pool in the office because he's certainly not going to do any work on garbage or learn about the metric tonnage. <laughs> so he's uh, doing this basketball pool. He finds out from Dick Barone that Richie is still selling coke on the roots. The, the note was not taken constructively, and uh, Tony manages to take this in a little bit more stride than the previous couple encounters, but implies, you know, well, I guess I'll have to torch a truck. Oh, you don't want to hear that. <laughs> I sure shit didn't say it. Yeah, exactly. So that's still happening. Richie is not backing down now. Which this Tony is... almost foresaw yeah. in the last scene. He's Because like, he just doesn't... Richie, again, not too bright, more an elemental character... He's saying to Richie, in effect, I think almost like something doesn't add up. Yeah. Like, you sure you can afford this? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, so it almost confirms that Richie is this loose cannon. Mm-hmm. And make no mistake about it, this is an escalation. Uh, as bad as it's been between these two, Richie always does swallow what Tony says so far. He does it kicking and screaming, moaning and begrudging, complaining, whining getting angry behind his back. But this is the first time Tony has told him something and his response has basically been, no, I'm going to keep selling Coke on the roots. So it's important to note that this is, uh, this is subtle though it is played, an, an absolute escalation in this uh, relationship. Then we get this uh, call, this call from Livietta Jr. as he's making two cups of tea. <laughs> and very funny, again, a lot of great lines in this call, but... It's uh, it's it's a harken back to season one, seeing these two talk. I think it's been a while since we've seen these two converse meaningfully. You know, I love that line. Uh, of course, I heard. I don't live in Oshkosh. It went when asking if he had heard that she had a stroke. You know, she said, "I'm the only person in this family who doesn't curse, so do me the favor." Great Livia Junior lines here. And for a moment, Junior seems to be softening up, and then Livia, of course, blows it because she calls with an agenda. Has to shit talk Catherine Romano. Can't be positive or or having a a meaningful pleasant conversation with anybody right to tell them about the time that uh catherine apparently let johnny boy feel her up behind the sons of italy hall (laughs) (laughs) though her agenda is actually really better expressed in another line in the same phone call how does it feel being abandoned Mm. right that's what she really wants yeah she's the sower of misery right and if that didn't get him, uh, maybe I'll poke this thing in about Catherine, right? Well, she, she must know, like, oh, that's what's propping him up, so let me... Right, me yeah, so when, when she reaches out to you, that's all she really wants is to take you down, you know? And Junior, despite his flaws and despite his villainry in season one, is not that. He is not a bringer of misery right. and, and depression and nihilism inherently. And he says, you know, I love his last line, Livia, what you don't know could fill a book. And he hangs up so fast that dial tone comes in immediately. And she's just looking at the phone. 
perplexed, verklempt. She's <laughs> she's not getting through to Junior. Junior wants none of it, and then has this very lovely, sweet conversation. Um, <laughs> I love that he brings her up. <laughs> she's like, uh, I heard she wasn't well. She was never well. <laughs> Let's be honest. Let's yeah. be honest. Um, her life is very sad. And Junior very cynically says if she fell into a sewer pipe, she'd come up holding a gold watch in each hand. <laughs> very great imagery there. Again, everything Junior says is either wise, very imagistic, or fucking hilarious. This guy is so well written and so well acted. Junior is such a great character. And that line's all three of those things. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he is honest with her. I think he dreaded telling her. Yes. At the end of the scene. Also, no accident that she invites him of all places to friendlies, because that is exactly what this woman represents. Just something so friendly and pure um, for him at this point. And he just has to tell her. He finally tells her, I'm in house arrest. Oh my god, does it hurt? It beeps. It's a funny, <laughs> funny, yeah. funny Friendlies is also there. a place where a lot of old people eat. Yeah. They have senior specials and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's totally a thing. She has made previous references to bingo and like she's that woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes to IHOP and right. and and plays bingo and yep. yeah. But uh, he is nervous that she's not gonna that she's gonna be bored with him. But they can commiserate in their boredom. You know, she says, "I enjoy you, Corrado. You stay. I'll bring food in." Oh, my heart. Yeah, I enjoy you. I always have. Yeah, I always have. Right. So mm-hmm. this has been she's been holding up flame for him for a while. Yeah. Torch. Very sweet. Yeah, gets me feeling things for Junior there. I really like that. She's sweet even when she admonishes him for his language. <laughs> you guys notice, oh, that talk, and she gives him a kiss on the forehead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then later, yeah, the next scene we see them, and she's putting the mask on him, and uh, by the way, he has a thing for feet. She's rubbing uh, and his. she's yeah. rubbing his. I mean, yes, and so they're watching Diagnosis Murder, right? Like the, the classic night in for a very old couple. Right? <laughs> yep. When I say sweet and sad, I think part of what brings it up is that the warmth that she's showing him, he's not fully conscious in that moment. Yeah. Just as he, as some of the denial that these characters have keep them from certain realizations. I thought. So it was sweet but sad at the end. Yeah. And really, the next two scenes are the end. It's, it, the episode is essentially over at this point. And the next two scenes just kind of put a button on it and conclude mm-hmm. it. We get this Melfi scene, and then we get the last sequence at um, Satrial's. So let's talk about this Melfi scene. They really kind of get to the heart of the matter. Melfi seems at least a little better, a little more mm-hmm. cogent, and a little more with it. And, and She's on medication now. Yes. So that is helping. And she's also got a little bit of Elliot Kupferberg vibe in her directness with him. Why does a shark always have to keep moving? This is probably the most effective she is as a therapist in season two to this point she's trying to course correct it she explains to him uh the condition of lixithymia where a uh, person has uh, i believe sociopathic people have to keep uh occupied and busy otherwise they have they're they're able to kind of stop and think about the abhorrent things they do tony even repeats that word back to her abhorrent and Melfi also another interesting thing. Melfi mentioned to Elliot in the pre- their previous scene that one of the reasons she sees Tony, it's like watching a train wreck. You, 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 I'm horrified by what he's going to say, but I can't look away. And then 
I find it very fitting that Tony basically tells her about Richie running over Beansy in a, in a car wreck, ostensibly. Kind of a very similar thing. Uh, he just lays it on her, something horrifying. And um, what do we make of this scene here with uh, with Tony and, and Melfi? It's, uh, it's, it's quite a sock in the gut, I think. And it really makes you kind of understand why it is that Tony is barely keeping his head above water this episode when he doesn't really have much going on. He just has to sit in a garbage office, fuck the born-again Christian, and stay out of trouble. This should be an easy... This should be should be living large here. But he can't. Yes. I would say that his takeaway from this therapy session is perhaps not what she intended. No. I think she's trying to tell him this is maybe why you are the way that you are. That you need this action to keep going because if you don't have it then you're going to reflect on these things you've done i think she would like him to reflect on these things that mm. he's done and to, to grow as a person but actually the lesson he takes away from is oh i need the action let me go find action let me add more action to my life even if it's chaotic action the message is if you stop you're going to be vulnerable and ruined and he takes that as not oh i should work through this and figure it out but i need to get back to it yeah she she gives him the right message and he Uses it in a way that is not good. Right. Again, <laughs> learning the wrong lesson. Right. Right. Uh, and that's how we get rocketed from this scene into a scene with such realities and, a, and an auto wreck. You yeah. Know, I mean, that's... A literal car crash. What's what he is seeking. Yeah. yeah. I think that in this scene, I definitely felt like something came to a head. He says, you seem like you're on drugs. And I think she has started taking the Luvox. Yeah. But the aloofness is a little different. She's just... I think, a little bit backed off of him. She's not in that compulsive mode. And I think she gets kind of tired of him, mm. frankly. I think she even gets bored. When he de- when he deflects again to Richie, she goes, Ugh, and, like, looks away from him. Yeah. So I think that it all comes to a head. I think I can't do better than what you guys said about what he is seeking. And it leads right into this last scene. Which is great. We're so caught up in feeling what he's feeling. That it's almost a relief in a sense for the audience to get back into Satrials because it's like, oh, this is the environment we know and we're comfortable with. And the dialogue back here, first of all, seeing Christopher healthy and upright mm-hmm. is uplifting. Yeah. Christopher's back. He's doing all right. Uh, Satrials is funny. Polly and Chris, uh, Polly and Silvio exchanging hilarious dialogue. About, Pussy uh, and Furio seem like they're all right. Yeah, Pussy and Furio are chilling. Polly is uh, asking uh, Silvio, telling Silvio about... Uh, what is it? A moisturizer. A lotion he's Swiss using, Swiss yeah. Basex moisturizer formula. And Silvio's like, yeah, maybe I'll try it. Paulie's Paul, making a delicious looking tomato sauce. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just immediate, like, even though these guys are gangsters and they're all horrible, you're, it's, it's satisfying in a way to see Tony back in his element, but it's also very unsettling because yep. we know what it means. For the for these characters and for the world at large, this is a step backwards, a retreat. Tony tried something new and didn't take. He couldn't couldn't handle it. Couldn't mm-hmm. handle the time to focus on himself. He's not ready to do the work that he needs to do to have a successful therapy experience. He right. could yeah certainly could not handle the only gangster that he's communicating with being Richie April at a garbage man's function at a country club. <laughs> yeah, it's not Tony's life. Yep, this is this is Tony's vibe, and then. The hydra, he misses the high drama, the experience of being in a place where anything can happen at any time. Boom, crash, this guy Carmine uh, speeding through the fucking neighborhood. He's right back in the thick of it. They all rush outside and 
Tony's like, still, go tell him not to speed through the neighborhood. He's, yeah. boss, he's the boss again. And then the two feds come over, and he's yeah. chatting with Agent Harris. Harris. It's very cordial. And who does Silvio take into the street? Furio. Naples University. Yeah. You need that, you need that <laughs> That's the right. tough yeah. guy. You Furio's, like, Furio's right. screaming at a guy in Italian yeah, in yeah. the middle of New Jersey. Yeah, Tony's ta- yeah, and Tony's talking to Harris about the Mets. and, and it's Harris so... has a new Italian partner again, yeah. by the way. Yep, always. Always. It's so funny. But, you know, this is like, it's also mundane, but this is Tony back in his element. And it's it's such an odd and curious thing that they've managed to do because, yep. like I said, it's like, ah, it's almost a breath of fresh air, but they don't let you do that because it's, it's also awful. <laughs> uh, nice little last bit of foreshadowing as before we cut to black here, fade to black. I, I do just want to point out that whoever blocked or staged this scene did a nice job. Paulie, first of all, Paulie hilarious with the little tanning thing. That's kind of an iconic meme uh, at this point. Is Paulie with the little silver thing under him there? I don't know what those are called, uh, but he's getting he's working on his neck and tan, yeah. neck tan. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Chris and everyone, uh, Silvio, they're all like kind of shitting around, having a good time outside Satrials. But as soon as the feds show up, pussy whoop, scoots back inside. Doesn't want to. Mm-hmm look too friendly with the feds or be you know have to even pretend or interact with that so he's kind of his isolation is uh that's a bit of um foreboding foreshadowing whatever you want to call it but yeah you leave this uh, episode with a kind of a mixed bag you're, you're glad you've seen it but you're glad it's over <laughs> yeah. uh, any final thoughts on house arrest guys we're racing we have two more we know uh, what sopranos did to us uh during season one penultimate episode so we're looking down the barrel at this season's equivalent to isabella but any final thoughts before we uh leave this hour of, of this show my final thought would be the acknowledgement that tony's enemy is ultimately not livia or junior or richie or janice it is mundane life it is something he cannot abide, but he's not alone. Melfi says this kind of thing uh, affects people of a certain personality type, right? She means antisocial, but really it's the gangsters, right? They can't stand to be too low profile for too long. Junior is languishing without any stimulation. Tony's depression will not allow him to just kind of remain in his house and at a boring office job. He's going to have to always try to seek out some kind of action. And mundanity tries to creep in throughout this whole episode, inane book club conversations, golf club chatter, in and out of hospital rooms. There's even, as we end the episode, the mundanity of what the guys talk about when they're not talking about gangster shit. Oh, moisturizer, I'm cooking a little sauce. Look at this dirty magazine. That is boring. But at least with them, their little chit-chat is because they are waiting for something to happen. Mm. What could this thing be? The feds. Uh, There's a a robbery going on. We got to get this guy. This guy got shot. That's what they're all waiting for because they can't stand the mundane either. That's why you hang out at the Bada Bing. That's why you hang out at Satriali's because these places are so heaped with potential energy mm. that you can get something out of it. And you'll never fall into that anxiety or depression because excitement's only a second away. The car could crash at any moment. What was that? Let's go run out and see. Hey, some feds are here. Go yell at those guys. Go beat those guys up. That's when you can light your cigar and you can say, I ain't got a thing to worry about because look at all the action. I'm, I'm right where it is. Well said. Yeah, I don't know that I'm going to do any better than that. I can't do better than that. I would only <laughs> say that typically... A stylistic preference of mine is the smash cut to black. You've made your point, get out. Mm. But when that camera pulls out this big crane shot, Mm. and again, reflecting that, 
certain boredom and it slowly fades is so perfect. Yeah. And it had this quality of reflecting that boredom, but also a tension like this is going to explode at some point because they can't go on like this was so powerful. Um, I got to give it up. And th- that's a reflection of how good a job Tim Van Patten did throughout this episode with a lot of the visuals and how it's all put together as well as Terry Winter. So it's another sensational episode. We talked a lot last... Yeah, I agree uh, with everything you just said. It is a sensational hour, and uh, I feel prepared for whatever they're going to throw at us uh, the next two, uh, two weeks. But we talked at length in the last episode about the wheel concept and how this is a self-perpetuating machine like termites. It's autopilot. This thing just keeps on progressing in whatever direction it's going. And this is, episode is called House Arrest. It shows these characters in a kind of stasis. And, you know, for anyone watching this on the outside, the audience, they're looking at The Sopranos and saying, God, why does all of this keep getting worse and perpetuating itself in such a destructive way? Why do they stuck on these destructive patterns? What does it take to just stop? Well, we got a good glimpse in this episode of what happens when the wheel does stop turning and why it has to keep progressing because maybe for these characters anyway, facing the reality of this machine that they've created and that they perpetuate is a far more horrifying prospect than living in it. So, very compelling hour of television. Guys, thank you so much. This was another fun one. Thank you. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. I'm Jordan Hugh. And uh, we're coming next time with a knight in white satin armor. I'm content to say with a spoiler-free face that this is a top fiver all-time Sopranos episode for me. Easily, easy top five list. So I'm very excited to talk about it all with you. We'll see you in another two weeks for your Hint of Audio Sunday dinner. Thank you all so much. Have a good time. Get out of the house.